This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. In your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. And just uh, read one verse, verse 8. Paul writing to the church at Colossae said, Beware lest anyone cheat you. My margin says, Plunder you or take you captive. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. What you believe affects every part of your life. It affects how you think. It affects how you act. It affects how you react. What you believe essentially shapes your lifestyle, your purpose, your priorities is directed by what you believe. The decisions of your life, the direction, the destiny of your life is predicated largely on what your core beliefs are. And if that is the case, and it is the case, then we ought to give much more careful consideration of how we arrived at what we believe. What is it based upon? Can we trust what we believe? Or is our house built upon the shifting sands of popular opinion or on the revelation of God's word? Now, Jesus warns us to take heed what we hear in Mark 4, 24. He says, take heed what you hear. But in Luke 8, 18, he says, take heed how you hear. So what we hear and how we hear what we hear is very, very important. Ravi Zacharias, a Christian apologist, he said that the problem with people today, and particularly with young people in this postmodern age, is that they hear with their eyes and they think with their feelings. They hear with their eyes and they think with their feelings. What do we mean by they hear with their eyes? Our world is dominated by the visual. Television has got an immense influence over the lives of people in this world. Movies, Hollywood has got a great influence over billions of people. And it's visual. And then you go into social media with the WhatsApp and the Facebook and the Instagram, the Snapchat and the TikTok and all the rest of it. And all of that influences opinions all over the world. Governments, prime ministers, presidents rise and fall on public opinion, largely garnered through visual media. It's often said that a picture paints a thousand words, and it does. The problem with thinking with our feelings is that sin 
can feel very good. If sin didn't feel so good, we wouldn't do so much of it. But the enemy of our souls is very clever. And he knows what's exciting to us. He knows how we feel. And so he plays to that. And so sin can be feeling very good, but it's very dangerous. And it's as old as the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Eve thought with her feelings, and she heard with her eyes. Let me just read that to you in chapter 3 of Genesis. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice what comes next. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. So she began hearing with her ears, but now she's hearing with her eyes. And what she's hearing with her eyes is more appealing to what she was hearing with her ears. When she saw that it was good for food, when she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. So now she's thinking with her feelings. If I take this, I'll be like God. I'll really be like God if I take this. She's thinking with her feelings. She's, she's not really thinking of the danger of what she's doing now. She's even forgotten about the command not to do this. Now she's thinking with her feelings and she's hearing with her eyes. <coughs> so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her and he ate. And so that principle, after thousands of years, is still very much alive today and very active in this world. Now, in Paul's day, of course, there was no social media, there was no television, there was no movies. But the Greeks and the Romans had their own philosophies. They had lots of philosophies. And they had lots of various gods that they worshipped. And they had their hedonistic lifestyles. And Corinth and Rome were magnets for pleasure seekers from all over the world. And when Paul in Acts 17 was in Athens, uh, he was provoked by how many gods there were on display. And as he walked down the street, there was all these plinths, all these altars with various gods, and there was even one was marked to the unknown god. Lest they offend some unknown god, they had an altar already built to the unknown god. And that god, Paul says, I'm going to preach to you, and he preached them the gospel, told them about the real god. At Ephesus, there was a great temple of Artemis or Diana, and it was huge. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People would come from all over the ancient world to worship at this temple. And it had hundreds of temple prostitutes who were the priestesses. And so it was a place of hedonism and sin uh, to the nth degree, could we say. And it had the largest Greek theater 
in the world at that time that held 25,000 people. It had colonnaded streets, it had marble streets, it had communal baths, it had libraries, at the school of Tyrannus where Paul preached. I mean, this was a major, major city. It was a very wealthy city. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. And it was a place where people went to. They had to go there. It was kind of like a Mecca. You had to go to this great temple of Diana and worship there. And so they too were listening with their eyes and they were thinking with their feelings. And in that great city, Paul raised up a great church, the church of Ephesus. Amen. And those Ephesians were living in the midst of all of that. And what a testimony they had when they raised up that great church. But that church had to grapple in their day with all of that stuff that was going on around them. That was their modern day. It's ancient dust, but to them it was their modern day. And they had all of that stuff to grapple with, all the philosophies and all that they could see and, and all that was going on around them. And so they too, they would have been tempted to hear with their eyes and to listen with their feelings. And so that's what they would be in the situation of. And so Paul then writes to the Colossians, because all over the ancient world it was much the same. So Paul writes to the Colossians who were being targeted by legalism from the, from the religious Jews, by mysticism, by esoteric Eastern religions, by asceticism, uh, by people that was uh, hard on their bodies, denying their bodies in order to be, to be super holy. And so all of that, they had to wrestle with all of that stuff that was going on around them. And so he writes to them and says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's not much different now than it was then, really. There's not much new under the sun, is there? It's the same devil with a different hat on, as somebody said. Today we have atheism, we have agnosticism, we have hedonism, we have postmodernism, we have determinism, we have evolutionism, we have all the, and a host of other isms that our generation that we have to deal with who mock us and decry us and attack every biblical truth that we believe to be true. And Hollywood and the media and politicians preach their gospel of non-judgmentalism. Isn't it amazing? that the one verse that seems every unbeliever knows <laughs> is Matthew 7 and 1, judge not that you be not judged. I mean, the whole, the whole sermon that Jesus preached is 110 verses, and they couldn't tell you the other 109, but they know that one. Don't you dare judge me. Uh, away with your antiquated rules and regulations and laws those ancient laws of those old scrolls, away with that stuff. We're, we're postmodern today. We're, we're, uh, you see, we're progressive today. We have our own laws. We have our own morals. We have our own rules. We don't want yours. We want you to tell us how to live, how we should live our lives. It's our business how we should live. Your morals are not our morals. We have got our own. We make our own rules to live by. So stop judging us. Live and let live. Isn't that the mantra today? See, we live in an age of moral relativism. In other words, morals are relative to the individual circumstances and to people's personal choices. So anything goes today. If it feels good, 
if I want to do it. It's none of your business. That's the talk today. And that's the world that we live in. And so without the Bible as a yardstick, who is to say what is right or what is wrong? You know, the big argument today when against atheists or evolutionists, the big argument today is, well, where does morals come from? And people say, well, I don't have any morals. Really? <laughs> That's not true. You actually do. And sometimes you're confronted with it, and you don't like it. But we can't do away with morals. They're there. Somebody says, well, my morals are not your morals. Uh, so what's right and what's wrong? So there has to be a yardstick. If there's morals and there are morals, then there has to be a yardstick. How do we measure morals? How do we say what's right and what's wrong? And so if there are morals and there's a yardstick, there must be a moral lawgiver. There has to be. And God is the moral lawgiver. Amen. And we see it through his word. But we dump the word of God. So if we dump it, say, well, there is no morals. No, no, it's still there. It's just we try to ignore it, but it's still there. It's funny how everybody says, well, you know, I've got my own laws and you get your laws and don't you worry about my laws. I'll not worry about your laws until you impinge on their laws. <laughs> until you do something that they don't like. And then they're not long to tell you about it. I want to take you to court over it too. And so take the gay marriage debate. Once that Rubicon is passed, then why not polygamy? Why not have as many wives as you want? Why not be like Utah with the Mormons? Not all of them, but many of the older ones still believe you can have as many wives as you want. Why not polyamory? Why not as many partners as you want? Hmm? Why not? I mean, if there are no morals, there is no yardstick, and the Word of God doesn't mean anything, well, then you can have whatever you like. Or why not? Why not legislate for incestuous relationships? Uh, you say, David, now you're going too far. I'm not. There are people who are pursuing that today. There's people who are pushing that button today. You may say, well, surely society would never accept that. <laughs> Society has accepted more than I ever thought they'd ever accept at my age. So don't be too, just, just watch and see. Because the criteria is, well, if two people love each other, that's the criteria. It doesn't matter as long as they love each other. Well, okay. Well, what if it's a father and a daughter, or a mother and a son, or a brother and a sister? If they love it, that, the only criteria is you love each other, why not? If there are no morals, why not? But you see, there's a part of us that balks at that because we do have morals. But they're being whittled and chipped at and knocked down more and more and more. So, if you think that would never happen, just watch and see how that will be pursued because everything else has been pursued. So we cannot live in a world without laws. It would be chaotic, dangerous, anarchy would break out. Even nature, even nature has its own immutable laws. Gravity is a law that you dare not break. 
I could stand on top of this building today after this service and say, I'm going to ignore gravity. It's a law and I don't recognize it. So I'm going to jump off this building. Well, you go ahead and see what happens. If I jump off, you'll be scraping me up with that pavement out there. Because gravity doesn't care. It's a law that you cannot break. Physics. You keep ignoring the laws involved in physics, you're going to be in big, big trouble, aren't you? It will destroy you if you continually flout it. There are laws that God has set even in nature that we flout at our own peril. And there are moral laws that we flout at our own peril. Someone has rightly said, nature doesn't care how you feel. There's the big gender debate today, isn't there? Gender identity, where you can designate your gender. Can you believe that governments, governments even in the UK, are trying to pass laws where somebody can arbitrarily decide their gender? Not on biology, just on the basis of how they feel. Because we live with our feelings. And so there's those who are gender neutral, they say, or gender fluid. You get up one day, you want to be a woman, you get up the next day, put a suit on your man, you get up the next day, put a frock on your woman. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. But that's what's happening. And governments, governments are trying to bring that into law, where you can decide your gender. And if that's not bad enough, then they're doing it with Achilles. They're doing it in school with the kiddies and trying to stop parents even knowing that they're doing it. This is the world that we live in today. And so we ignore the ramifications. And now we end up with gender-neutral toilets, gender-neutral dressing rooms, gender-neutral changing rooms. And you can see how that's going to be abused and used, and it has already been. But that's the world that we live in today. And then we have an aggressive LBGTQ lobby that's demanding drag queens to read stories to her primary school children. Can you imagine? How in the world did we ever get to this stage? It's insane. It's wicked. Our little children exposed to this been taught homosexuality at primary school. That's what they want. That's what they're pushing for. That's what little children is being faced with. A TV presenter, after 27 years of marriage, comes out last week as gay on his television program, and the public display of sympathy was overwhelming. And the celebrities were lining up to say he was brave, he was courageous. You thought he had just won the George Cross for bravery in battle. But it shows you public opinion how it's changed. That's right. 30 years ago, that never would have happened. But it's so acceptable today. Why? Because we think with our feelings. We hear with our eyes. Justin Welby, Archbishop of the Church of England, John Sintemu, the Archbishop of York, two evangelical, born-again, tongue-talking believers. Last week, 
apologized, wait for it, apologized to, because they had said that sex outside marriage is wrong. And they apologized to, because they said that because it was offending some people. What? In other words, they here's the two most highest Protestant churchmen in the whole of Britain apologizing for what the Bible teaches. Yeah. I mean, I, when I heard, I shook my head when I heard that. I thought, this can't be true. But they did. <coughs> Is it any wonder Britain's in the state that it's in? Is it any wonder? I, it's just beyond my imagination at times. Gay marriage, abortion has been foisted upon Northern Ireland without one vote being given, without a referendum being called. It was just foisted. In fact, the most radical abortion laws in the whole of Europe has been foisted upon us without even a vote being taken. Why? Because the nanny state believes that they know better how we should live. And they completely ignore God's word. And they completely ignore our morals because they're not interested. Not interested. It's not even on their radar. And it's only Christian churches and people like yourselves who write and who lobby Christian institutes, fantastic organization who do this all the time to try to stop these laws from governing our lives. And so our thought life is very, very important. The Bible, therefore, has unsurprisingly much to say about it because how we think will shape our lives. So you can see why the enemy of your soul is trying to change how you think, particularly our young people and our kiddies. We don't think the way our grandparents thought. We don't. It's changed dramatically because of the visual all the time. Not 18 inches between your head and your heart, it may seem just a small distance for your thoughts to travel. <laughs> but it makes a massive difference. When the thoughts in your head become the thoughts of your heart, then it changes your life. Amen. And it changes your lifestyle. And it will govern every facet of your life and dictate almost all of your decisions. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Matthew 15, 18 and 19. Uh, Jesus has just had another run-in with the scribes and Pharisees because they were saying of your disciples, they don't wash their hands in their eating. It wasn't, that wasn't to do with hygiene, by the way. It was to do with their ceremonial laws that they had made up. And Jesus rips into them as he did very often into the scribes and Pharisees. And he says, you know, you're, you're, you've got all this standing on its head, he says. Basically, Matthew 15, 18, 19, he says, but those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. He says, what goes in down your throat comes out of your stomach. It, but he says, it's what comes out of your heart out of your mouth. He says, that's what does the danger. But those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. 
For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. The thoughts that were once in the head has took root in the heart. And they come out over the mouth. They become an opinion. Since these are the things that defile a man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, or I think the old King James says imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Think of that. Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the Apostle Paul says that the war that we fight in this life spiritually has a lot to do with how we think and what we do with our thoughts that swirl around our brains at times. And I don't care who you are or how holy you are, there's going to be thoughts that will come to you. And it's how you deal with those thoughts. Somebody said the old saying is you can't stop the birds flying around your head, but you can stop them building a nest in your hair. That's right. Yes, that's right. It's what you do with them when they come. And so he uses the word warfare, and the word warfare is stratos, is where we get the word strategy from. And so the enemy strategizes. He has plots. He has plans. He's quite deliberate and active in coming against us in our thoughts, trying to shape our views and opinions. And it's deliberate. And you can see that in the world out there, and I've just mentioned some of it this morning, how opinion in GB has changed dramatically in just a couple of decades because the enemy had a strategy. He had a plan and a plot. But thank God, the Holy Spirit has got greater strategies and greater plans and can guide us and lead us in a better way. And so God is planning for us and he's planning good for us. He's planning well for us. And he has his strategies. And you'll see that throughout Scripture too. You'll see how, for instance, Joshua, God gave Joshua battle plans and what to do with Jericho. And it seemed ridiculous just marching around the walls so many days, all the time, every day. I mean, it seemed ridiculous. But not with God it wasn't because it was a strategy that God gave. Amen. And, and you can see that throughout Scripture all over the place how that God was constantly giving strategies to his people, how to win battles, how to win wars, what to do, where to go, how to handle things. So he talks about warfare, he talks about weapons, and Ephesians 6 lists them for us, and we're not going to go through the, the, the weapons today, that's a whole study on its own, which we haven't time to do today. 
But those weapons are both offensive and defensive. And the spiritual armor that we've got to wear is both offensive and defensive. And God has given us that to help us to live in this present world that we're living in. And then he uses the word carnal. The weapons of warfare are not carnal. Sarkos. And it means anything that is of the flesh, anything that is just of natural man, anything that which is unspiritual in nature. So those are not our weapons. They're not the weapons that this word uses. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not just something we conjure up. They're spiritual. They're in the word of God. We can read them. We can see them. We can act them. We can do them. Casting down arguments or imaginations, as the original translation says. Logosmos is the word from which we get logic from. Reasoning. Now, God has given us the ability to reason and to use logic. And in and of itself, that's a good thing. That's what makes us smart. That's what makes us able to operate in this world in our daily lives. Because we think reasonably, think logically, rationally. But when it comes to spiritual fighting, when it comes against the works of the enemy, then your logic goes out the window. That's not our weapon. Because some of the things we face, they seem so rational and logical, and you can't argue against them. They're real, they're material, they're happening. And if you try to fight that logically all the time, you come to a dead end. Sometimes we have to do some spiritual battle. And we have to think out of the box, think spiritually. Because a lot of our spiritual thinking is out of the box. It's not in this word. It's in the word of God. So sometimes our natural reasoning, good as it can be, sometimes it negates our faith. And sometimes we have to say, all my reasoning is not going to solve this. All my logical thinking is not going to make this work. I'm going to have to do something else here. I'm going to have to think spiritually. I'm going to have to get my orders from the Word of God. Amen. And that takes faith to do that. In the face of something that's so reasonable, that's so logical, that's so rational, it takes faith to win that battle. Because you can't win it with your logic. He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought into captivity. So our thoughts are extremely important. We either take our thoughts captive or our thoughts take us captive. And how many times have we, all of us, how many times have we, you and I, we have allowed a thought to get into our mind and it's tortured us, it's tormented us, and we struggle with it. And it took us captive. And it held us captive. It's the last thing we thought about. We put our head in the pillow. It's the first thing we thought about in the morning when we get up. Maybe for weeks or days or months, it hounded us. It took us captive. Now Paul says we're to take it captive. Amen. Every thought take captive 
to the obedience of Christ. And sometimes you have to say, that's not my thought. It's not mine. That's the devil's thought. That's this world's thinking. That's my rational, logical brain thinking. But my thought is the word of God. Amen. And I got to believe it by faith. And I got to trust it by faith. Amen. I got to stand on it by faith. And that's when we start to take those thoughts captive. Now, I struggle just as much as you do. There's thoughts come to me that trouble me. And I have to fight it with the Word of God. And it may not be a, an impure thought or an evil thought, but something that's holding me back. Something that's causing me not to be what I should be in Christ. And I've got to take that captive and say, no, that's not my thought. This is my thought, the Word of God. So we either take our thoughts captive or thoughts take us captive. So let's stop hearing with our eyes and thinking with our feelings. Let's hear what the Word of God says. And let's think what the Word of God teaches us. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your precious Word. This is the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And Lord, we thank you that this sword is sharp and it's powerful and it pierces right into the very innermost being of our lives and it discerns the thoughts of our heart. So help us, Lord, to not just enjoy your word but employ your word to use it daily in this life that we live. For our minds are bombarded every day with thoughts that are this world's thoughts, the evil one's thoughts, carnal thoughts. So help us, Lord, to fight that with the Word of God, just the way your son Jesus in those temptations fought it with your Word. So we give you thanks, and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk